Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Thomas Tailgate Party. I am your host, Thomas Jackson. It is the final episode of the 2022 college football season. Therefore, after this episode, I will be taking a break. So we have been going pretty strong since August. Um, a little bittersweet. It's always sad when the season comes to an end. But uh, I really appreciate everybody for listening and following along this whole season. It's been a lot of fun and get more into the sentiment, sentimental crap at the end. But uh, yeah, last episode of our second season here at Hummus Tailgate Party tonight. Um, off-season plans, we probably have some random guests here or there to talk, maybe football, maybe not. Um, if anybody has any burning topics they need to get off their chest, uh, please let me know. I'm open to just about anything, and I've got a couple guests already lined up to come on and talk about nothing even close to college football related uh, spread out over the offseason. So if anybody wants to chit-chat, always welcome to. Um, like last year, I'll probably do another March Madness episode. That was honestly maybe the most fun I've ever had doing an episode. I had a jolly good old, good old time, and the bracket group will definitely do that again. Um, I prepped so hard for the tournament and my bracket and everything. Anyway, it's like I may as well do a podcast with all the information that I gather between that selection Sunday and um, and uh, the first round starting. So had a lot of fun doing that. So maybe that or like Masters or something fun over the summer. We'll see. Then the plan is to come back. I do most of my prep work for the season over summer, really in between um, Memorial Day and early August and then that's when I like to get the episodes some previews conference previews and prediction pods kind of started up so I guess just be on the lookout for random stuff I'll be posting obviously on social whenever anything happens but that's the the long-term plan be back get back uh, close to full swing with college football stuff in August and if there's any craziness not if when there's craziness maybe I'll come and do a random signing day or transfer portal or coaching carousel episode if if need be so with all that being said we will get into the bulk of today's episode going to talk about the national championship game uh at first we'll just go over what happened and then talk about some bigger picture stuff um followed by the 2023 odds are already out so we'll do that and look at who Vegas likes to come out on top next season. couple big picture hypothetical questions um, that I'd really be interested to hear some feedback on because I had a lot of thoughts myself. And then we will wrap this bad boy up. So yeah, we'll get started right here. The Georgia Bulldogs won their second consecutive national championship. 65-7 to over the TCU Horned Frogs in SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, California. Uh, Georgia won the coin toss, and it was literally over at that point. <laughs> um, I mean, this, this is the most one-sided, meaningful game that I have ever seen in my life. Um, I mean, I've got some stats here. I'll just start to rattle off. Stetson Bennett, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to go and do a whole Bennett tangent thing but you obviously can't say enough about his comeback story I mean the dude's basically my age but still after all that he's been through back-to-back -back national championships at Georgia just an unbelievable storybook ending to his career he threw or accounted for six total touchdowns passing for four and rushing for two the Bulldogs got up 38 to 7 at halftime 
And in the second half, all they did was extend that lead uh, 27 to zero on top of what they had going into the locker room. Their starters didn't even play the majority of the fourth quarter. If they didn't play after the first quarter, Georgia still would have been fine because Georgia's walk-ons, or not walk-ons, but maybe walk-ons, uh, the second, third stringers were still running up and down the field with very little little resistance by the TCU defense, who I'm, I'm sure was completely dejected and out of it and banged up at that point in the game. TCU had three turnovers to Georgia's zero, so that never helps when you're playing a team like the Bulldogs. Total yards, Georgia outgained TCU 589 to 188. <laughs> really, really staggering there. Um, Rushing-wise, Georgia outran them 254 to 36. Passing-wise, 335 to 152. So, you know, I could rattle off three more pages of stats, but I think everyone who watched the game, or even if you didn't, kind of gets the point from the final score and a few of those figures that I just threw out there. So wanted to talk more so about some bigger picture stuff. I think that's what's more interesting after uh, a game that was not competitive after the coin toss, literally. Um, UGA is the first team to go back-to-back since Alabama did it in 2011 to 2012. This game, uh, I saw a lot of people talking about it on Twitter, and I thought this myself. It reminded me of the second of those two Alabama titles when we beat Notre Dame 42-14. to This was just a lot worse, and I didn't think it could get much worse than that Bama-Notre Dame game because that was complete dominance from start to finish. But uh, yeah, Georgia, Georgia did one-up it somehow, some way. The 58 points... Um, that Georgia won by is the largest margin of victory in not just any title game, but any bowl game ever, if I read that correctly. Um, Really unbelievable that something like that would happen in a national championship game against the number two team in the country. Kirby clearly has this thing rolling at full capacity, going 29-1 and over the last two seasons. Um, I think that's the most amount of wins by any college football program in a two-year span, of course, having the extra playoff games and everything helps, whereas for most of college football, that wasn't the case, but still, that's a hell of a lot of games. We saw this coming for a while, maybe not to this degree, but I think anybody who was familiar with Kirby and the gold mine that is the Georgia program, just with all of their resources and fan and university dedication and recruiting proximity uh, to so many hot spots, especially Atlanta, uh, could see that this was just a matter of time before Georgia got one or two or even more. Um, so, you know, they, they got a lot of uh, flack by me and just about everybody else. Kirby's first few seasons, cause it took him a little bit longer to get the train rolling. This was his first SEC or first head coaching job, not just SEC head coaching job. Um, but then they had a couple seasons where they were good enough to be a playoff team. Absolutely. But they just ran into Alabama who had more depth and more experience in the big stages. And we all remember those games. They were about as close as you could possibly get to winning without actually winning it. So after a couple of those, Georgia finally was able to break through last year, which going into the season was kind of their 
team where they they had the defense you know they had the returning studs on offense they felt like that was their year going into it and it turned out to be the case this year they lost so much we thought well well at least I thought I know they're doing this whole seven and five thing everybody doubted us let's be real I knew they had the talent to be a playoff team I didn't think they would be this good again Um, so I guess I underestimated them a little bit, but this is also isn't shocking that this is happening. So yeah, now it's like they have the anxiety off of their shoulders that they won the trophy last year. Now they can kind of come and forget about the 1980s stuff and Georgia always chokes and can't beat Bama. Like they've done all that. Now they've done it twice in a row, hoisting the big trophy. So Going on, you know, there's going to be different stages to this, what we think is a dynasty in the making in Athens, just like it has been in Tuscaloosa. There's been kind of different stages to Saban's reign and everything. But yeah, I mean, going forward, um, Georgia, Georgia looks like the team to beat without a doubt. On that note, many people are asking if or stating that they have unseated Alabama as uh, kind of the golden standard in college football, if you will. Right now, obviously, it feels easy to say yes, um, because Georgia beat Alabama in the national championship last year, and then this year Alabama didn't even make the playoff having a really disappointing season on what was supposed to be a uh, at least a national championship appearance year, if not going all the way for the Tide. So right now, sure, Georgia is the team to beat, without a doubt. However, if it's truly a changing of the guard, I say pump your brakes just a little bit, and let's see what happens next year. Um, you know, this, this Alabama team, it was really disappointing, but... That's happened a couple of times, not often, but a couple of times in Saban's tenure. And I just think that given a whole off season to marinate on everybody talking about Georgia again, and hopefully some ch- changes to the coaching staff, most notably offensive coordinator going in Tuscaloosa. Hopefully we get a little bit more of that dog mentality on defense, no pun intended, and get back to the aggressiveness and the intensity that we saw throughout most of Saban's time in Tuscaloosa, then I think Alabama absolutely has the players to compete with and beat Georgia next year and take it back. So I think more likely than it's just Alabama's out, Georgia's in, Georgia's going to be the next 10 years, and Alabama's just going to kind of fade out into the night. I think it's more likely that Georgia's not going anywhere, but neither is Alabama, because I, I think I can just see these teams trading punches getting the best of each other year in, year out uh, for the next, I don't know, five years, however the fuck long until Saban retires. I'm done trying to guess at this point, like a, a lot of other people are. But yeah, I, I, I think it's more likely that Bama bounces back than just fades off into the night. So I've just seen this too many times over the past 15 years, and I have faith bias faith, but faith that uh, Alabama can do it. They did just sign the highest rated class in school history and the second highest class in college football history, by the way, in case you missed that episode. So yeah, I mean, that that certainly doesn't hurt anything. And uh, I think that the team will, will have a little bit of a fire. So I 
Hats off to Georgia. I'm not trying to turn this into an Alabama pod by any means because they deserve all of the shine. But, you know, that that is going to be a big talking point over the offseason as Georgia replaced Bama as the king of college football. We'll see. For those of you who um, who might have seen the I don't know if it was the pregame or the halftime show or maybe the postgame. Um David Pollock was sitting next to Nick Saban on the college game day set there in SoFi Stadium. And he was saying, I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially Georgia has taken the crown from Alabama. There's a new day in college football, blah, 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 as he was sitting literally two feet from Nick Saban. And Saban was just kind of glaring at him, as you can imagine, not too happy of a face. So all I'm going to say is keep talking like that, David Pollock, and be careful not to poke the bear. Anyway, <laughs> um, TCU, we need to talk about the Horned Frogs a little bit. They deserve a lot of credit, even though it was a really embarrassing ending to a magical season. It's going to take a while for them to get this taste out of their mouths. Um, but, you know, after a few months or the next season goes by, they're going to look back on this season with nothing but amazing memories. And, you know, especially for a program like this, they don't have these seasons hardly ever. I think they've won one national championship back in like 1938, uh, maybe give or take a couple years. But this is this just doesn't happen to a team like TCU. They had 200 to 1 odds to win the college football championship before the season started. Um, If I didn't already mention this on a previous pod, I'll repeat it if I did. But that's the same odds that the Colorado Rockies have to win the World Series. And anybody who watches baseball knows that that's literally never going to happen in a million years. So TCU making it this far was a Disney story in itself. Um, But as everyone says, the clock strikes midnight and George is there to uh, beat you up take your glass slipper, beat you over the head with it, and run away. So yeah, Max Duggan is moving on. He is going to the NFL. Really great story for him. He had started for three seasons, I believe, before he got benched before the year and then ended up getting the starting job back during week one up the road for me at Colorado. Um, So he had an unbelievable season. Really happy that he was able to get the Heisman uh, trip to New York experience and everything. I've got friends of friends that know him and everything, or my friends know him and uh, say he's a great guy. So I hope Max does really well in the NFL and he'll he'll get a good opportunity and a team will be lucky to have him. Sonny Dykes, this was his first year at TCU and bright future ahead. I mean, good luck at doing this. He kind of set the bar a little bit high for himself uh, in year one, but he's obviously knows what he's doing. I mean, he's got to be one of the, one of the best coaches in college football um, for achieving what he did with this TCU roster that really, really had no business just from a pure on paper talent standpoint, being in the playoff with teams like Georgia, Michigan, and Ohio State, just light years away. But the coaching job that Sonny Dykes did in his first season taking over is uh, truly impressive. He needs to hit the portal hard and just keep this thing going and make TCU known as a transfer portal destination, sell Texas, sell the facilities, and see if you can't, you know, mess around and get back into New Year's Six or sniffing at the playoff next year. So they could be a playoff semi-regular type like Oklahoma, Notre Dame, you know, I mean, I don't, it's hard to imagine them. Be getting to the Clemson level where you actually win a couple. Um, but, 
you know, no one, no, a lot of teams, maybe not a lot of teams, but plenty of teams have made a couple of appearances. And even if they haven't, you know, even Oklahoma, Notre Dame have never won a semifinal game and TCU has. So they have, they have the talent potential there at TCU to be a regular in this discussion. And uh, I'm rooting for them. They, you know, hats off, hats off to them on an unbelievable season. But unfortunately for them, they thought they got to the mountaintop and then they reached a false summit and looked way, way, way up at where the top is. And they've got a long way to go before they're beating a Georgia. But uh, nevertheless, uh, once they once they kind of calm down and recover from this from this national ass beating that they just suffered in front of in front of the whole country, they'll they'll look back and hopefully carry the momentum from this season on to next year and get a good, good program going in Fort Worth. So when thinking about TCU and their program and fans and how they're going to digest this wampin, um, a lot of people have been talking on the interweb about, would you rather lose a big game in blowout fashion or in heartbreaking fashion? And I think this is a really interesting um, to- topic to debate and hash out. From personal experience, I've dealt with a lot more heartbreak losses than uh, blowout losses because, all right, little Bama tangent, but this is just the emotional experiences that I have been through to accurately answer this question the best that I may. Uh, So Bama literally almost never gets blown out. Even before Saban with Shula, you know, we were not very good. We didn't win a lot of games during his tenure. But one thing we wouldn't do is just roll out and lose by like 40. The one example in my lifetime of a true blowout is unfortunately on the big stage. My The last game of my time as a student in Tuscaloosa when Clemson beat us in the 49ers stadium, Levi's or whatever, 44 to 16, um, which is a 28, mar- 28 point margin of victory. That game, it was it was bad. We all remember it. Uh, this was embarrassing. It was miserable. I had never experienced anything like it, nor have I experienced anything like it in the four seasons since then. Um, before that game, since so I really started comprehending and understanding football during the 2004 season. I have vague memories before that, but 04 is the first season that I really remember from start to finish, and that's the first season that my dad started taking me to more than just one or two games, I believe. So that was it. That was second grade for me. Alabama went, I think, six and seven, um, a barely bowl eligible season culminating in a Music City Bowl loss to Minnesota that I was at with my dad and grandparents. But um, yeah, since then, when I remember watching Alabama football, the most that Alabama had ever lost by was 17 points. This happened twice, and they were both in 2004. After that, besides the Clemson game, the most Alabama has ever lost by in my lifetime is 14. That's happened a few times, but not that many. 
Um, you know, that, so it's, it's, it's really remarkable that, of course, the last 15 years, it doesn't surprise anybody that Alabama hasn't gotten blown out. But really in that 04 to 07 stretch, um, the first four years that I can really remember of football, it's really amazing that there wasn't at least one game when we played one of those Auburn teams or LSU or Tennessee when we just got our ass whooped. Um, didn't happen. That is something that this program is, you know, very proud of and can really hang its hat on, which is why Clemson, that game in the 20, it was the 2018 season national championship. The game was played in like early January, 2019, whatever. Um, Alabama was undefeated going into that game. The team was amazing. Um, Tua was the quarterback and we just came off of a big, big victory against Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl. And so those 28 points that we lost by to Clemson felt like 58 from the other night, um, especially having the undefeated team and sky-high expectations of having won the title the previous year um, and two years before that. So yeah, it, it was a rough night and next morning. Um, but it was just, that's really the only experience that I have getting truly blown out and it sucked, um, but I don't know. In a in a in a way, even for as disappointing and embarrassing as it was, I remember late night that night out on Caplewood with my man Brett, um, just just thinking. As much as it sucked, hey, we got beat fair and square. You know, north, south, east, west, up, down, every which way. They just beat our ass, and that's. That's honestly easier to stomach than if it was just, you know, one play at the end of the game, like how Bama lost to Tennessee or how Ohio State lost to Georgia. Like, that shit can stick with you for a while. I I found it easier, even though I would really, I would still rather, I think, have a close game um, just, just for the pride aspect of it. It is a lot easier pill to swallow when you can just look in the mirror and say, hey, we just got our ass kicked. That's all there is to it, you know, that we had no business being on the same field as them today. Whereas if it's a game that's decided in the last minute or on the last second, then there's always, oh, that one call or that one, you know, that one drop or whatever, but you can kind of drive yourself a little bit crazy going through all the scenarios. So I don't know. I mean, I would, in almost any situation, I would rather go through a close game and lose than just get totally embarrassed um, just, just from a pride standpoint, but I certainly understand the argument if you disagree. And I would be curious to hear what people think about this. Cause I think it's a interesting discussion, especially for those of y'all who are a little bit, bit more used to getting, you know, the, the doors blown off once every couple seasons, maybe as opposed to Bama fans who have been truly spoiled. And I don't think that's something that people really ever talk about. At least I've never seen it much, um, online or anything about that 17 point stat besides the Clemson game. So I don't know. It's, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting discussion and you can go on the flip side. <clears throat> what, what would you rather win a close, stressful, you know, blood boiling game at the last second or have a blowout where you can just truly enjoy yourself the whole time and not ever have to worry about losing 
Uh, me personally, that one's easy. I would way rather have the blowout. I know a lot of people, and this is kind of turned into a meme thing, uh, at least among Alabama fans, because you get a lot of people saying, oh, blowouts are boring. It's so much more exciting when we have close games and it comes down to the final drive in the fourth quarter. And on one hand, you're right. Those games aren't boring, um, but I don't think blowouts are either because blowouts when you're winning are a lot more fun than any type of alternative when you're losing, whether it be close or not. So I'll take the blowouts every single day. Um, but I know a lot of people who I guess like the, anxiety-ridden four-hour CBS experiment every Saturday, but not me. I'll take my uh, 49 to 7. Thank you very much. Um, you know, I, I, I get it. The adrenaline that comes from the thrill of winning a close game when you really don't know for most of the game if you're actually going to win, there's nothing like it. You don't get that type of, you don't get that type of adrenaline rush and just energy and euphoria from a blowout, but you know, that there is a pure bliss from a blowout where you can truly just kick back and throw them back for four hours and not have to stress out and really just party while you're watching your team party on the field. Sign me up for that all day. Moving right along into the 2023 odds brought to you by Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm not going to go too deep into these, but um, I did notice they were already up on the DraftKings app last night after the game when I was checking my winnings from the dogs getting the uh, my I, so I played a teaser. I teased them all the way down to minus two and a half and teased the under up to 72 and a half, which only hit because of the Georgia kicker missing that PAT with like five minutes left. Otherwise, the total would have been at 73. So that was rather exhilarating after an otherwise pretty boring game for anybody but the dogs. So cheers to that and anybody else who hopefully profited off of this podcast this season. Uh, we know how Best Bets did. Really proud of that, but hopefully my advice... Sent y'all in the right way on other occasions as well. Um, I did have my score prediction was Georgia covering and the under hitting. Um, although I got a little timid and teased the two when it came down to Mondays. So cheers to us. So <clears throat> 2023, uh, Georgia is the clear favorite at plus 275. No surprise here after them repeating. Although I don't believe any team in modern college football history has ever three-peated. So it's really, really hard to win one. It's really, 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 really hard to win two. And it's almost basically unheard of to win three in a row. So that'll be an interesting storyline to watch as we go into next season for Georgia. Next up, we have Alabama at 5-1. to one. Them, Ohio State, and Michigan um, who are, you know, kind of the four best teams besides TCU this year are in that top category before we drop off. Bama is at five to one. Ohio State is at eight to one and Michigan is at 10 to one. Then there's a bit of a drop to USC and Clemson at 14 to one. Thought this was interesting. Um, USC, these two teams, you know, USC definitely looks like they are on the better trajectory than Clemson is. But maybe this Cade Klubnick quarterback that Clemson has uh, starting next year, now that DJ is going to 
Corvallis, Oregon for the Oregon State Beavers. Um, maybe he will be the injection that this offense needs to really live up to their potential. And USC, can their defense be worth a damn next year? Because Caleb Williams is coming back. We know that their offense is going to be one of, if not the best in the country. So will their defense give them a chance against respectable competition? We'll see. Big questions for both of these schools that have very high ceilings. The next tier, we go into the 20 to 25 to 1 range. I didn't write down every individual odd, but that's where we're at. Plus 2,000, plus 2,500-ish for LSU, Tennessee, Florida State, someone we haven't seen uh, very high up here um, in recent years ever since Jimbo darted out of there. But they seem to have a really, really encouraging squad returning. A lot of veterans, including their quarterback, Jordan Travis returning to Tallahassee for the 2023 season, and Mike Norvell got them on the right track very quickly this season after a rough, rough few years for the Knolls. Then we have Texas. Uh, I have high hopes for them. I kind of like them probably the best out of anybody in this group. I think even though that scares me just to even say that about Texas, but I, I have hopes for them going forward. I think with the recruiting class and Sark having a couple years under his belt, um, they're going to be able to really compete for the Big 12 and maybe even beyond that next year. And the typical Notre Dame sliding in there at the end at 25-1. to 1. That's about it for the teams who have a realistic shot at winning the title next year. You know, it's it's normally one of the ones in that first four, six, eight teams that actually lifts the trophy. It's super rare that we see someone, um, like I said, last year TCU was 200 to one. This year or next season, they open up at 60 to one. So a lot more respect, but you can see how far away Vegas thinks that they are from having a legit legitimate chance to get back to this stage in the 2023 season. And lastly, Oklahoma, who we normally see in probably that five to eight range of just as far as ranking the teams go and their odds. They're probably the, you know, in the fourth to eighth team that has the best odds to win the title. They're all the way down pretty close to TCU at 50 to one. Um, so quite the rebuilding effort going on in Norman that just caught my eye and wanted to point that out since it's quite a drop from, from recent years. That's all I've got for the odds. And that's about all I have for the episode. So Thanks so much for listening, everybody, all season. Um, sincerely mean that. It's a lot of fun. This is a hobby that I have really enjoyed doing the last couple years. And everybody that... You know, I, I mostly do it for me just to give myself a bit of a creative outlet and talking about something that I love. And I can you know, clearly talk to a brick wall as I almost literally do every single episode for an hour about college football every week. But it's been a lot of fun. And those of you who have been kind enough to listen along and give me feedback and interaction and everything have made it so much more enjoyable too. So really appreciate each and every one of you that are listening right now. Hope everybody had a happy holiday season and new year. Um, I hope 2023 is looking good for everybody like it is for me i'm excited for things to come and some off-season episodes and whatnot so uh okay so my sister um had a critique i have to read this from her 
Please rate and review if you haven't already given me five stars on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We are trying to get a hummus sponsorship for next season, and that would really, really help. Thank you so much. So yeah, hopefully I tried last off season to DM some hummus companies and got a bunch of no thank yous or read and ignored. So if you wouldn't mind giving me the five star or a good review, whatever, maybe that would uh, be the help that I need to get a little monetary incentive because this does cost a little bit of money to put on. Happy to do it myself. It's well worth it uh, for the enjoyment that I get out of this and looking forward to every episode every week. Not going to lie, looking forward to a bit of a break because it is it is pretty hard work, uh, but work that I really enjoy doing. So this is our 53rd, I believe, 53rd episode over two seasons. Uh, more to come soon, hopefully a couple this spring and through the summer before we really ramp it back up in August. So thanks again one last time. <clears throat> Y'all have made this a truly enjoyable experience the last couple seasons and uh, everything from people listening to social media to our pick'em groups. It's just, it's, it's been a blast. So I love you guys and thank you so much and everybody have a great 2023 until we talk again. Bye-bye.